Welcome to the South Asian Studies at Stanford podcast, also known as the SASPod. I am Lalita Duperon, Associate Director in the Center for South Asia. All our podcasts and information about the center are available at southasia.stanford.edu. Today on the SASPOT, we welcome Vivek Tana, whom I first quote-unquote met at a queerness, spirituality and religion webinar organized by Stanford Refuge. This particular session was on the subject of queerness and Hinduism, and Vivek moderated the conversation with three established scholar activists. The session was so incredible, I made a mental note to reach out to Vivek, and then the week got busy, and so I didn't. Until later that same week, I read a comedy piece in the Stanford Daily, which made me laugh. And so I looked at who had written it, and it was Vivek. So I emailed him immediately to ask if he could make time to talk to me on the SASPod, and here we are. Uh, Vivek, we have a lot to talk about, but let me start by asking you how you are doing. Yeah, thanks for that introduction. I'm glad you did reach out, and I'm so grateful and honored to be here. Um, I'll also mention that SASPod is giving me very queer vibes as a name, so I appreciate that as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, overall doing quite well. Fantastic. I think um, you are, you're possibly, I'm not 100% sure, but I think you're the first undergraduate student that we've had on the SASPod, so many firsts going on here. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very grateful and honored, as I said. <laughs> it's fantastic. I'm so glad you were able to fit us in. Um, tell, tell me, how did you become involved with the Queerness, Spirituality and Religion series? Yeah, um, so this group actually just started towards the end of last year. Um, it's sort of like a student group, but coordinated between like the Queer Student Resources Center and the Office of Religious and Spiritual Life. And it's called Queer Refuge and pretty much the purpose is for um, queer folks with a variety of like religious or spiritual backgrounds to come together um, and just sort of like experience that um, communal presence and like sort of work through some things critically because um, you know a lot of those journeys often end up being um, quite individual or at least mine was sort of working through um, spiritual and religious identity and queerness um, is often an isolating journey. Um, so definitely grateful that this group has gone started. Um, and then the one of the founders, Mata, my friend, who's just like a phenomenal human being, um, has put in a lot of work coordinating these panels. And it's a series that is continuing all through this quarter. Um, and yeah, and he made a point of reaching out to me to moderate the Hinduism week. Um, and it was just an incredible experience. Like these speakers were, um, I wouldn't have imagined like attending an event with them, um, let alone moderating it. Um, like, as Matt has said, like, they were sort of our first picks, and we weren't expecting responses from them, but nearly all of them responded immediately saying yes. Um, so it was Harish Ayer, who is um, a, a prominent activist in India, who actually um, was involved in, directly involved in the legal work of swaying the Supreme Court 
um, to rule against Section 377 and the Indian, um, the British Colonial Penal Code, pretty much, uh, which criminalized um, consensual uh, homosexual relations or same-sex relations. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also Sonal Gianni, who was um, an incredible like youth activist um, and filmmaker, and Dr. Raja um, Gopal Bhattar, who is um, also uh, sort of trained in uh, as a priest and involved in higher education and like uh, motivational speaking, um, who definitely brought expertise from a variety of disciplines. So it was, yeah, a super incredible experience to speak with all of them. You did a fantastic job moderating because it was an intense discussion. I, um, I want to ask you more about your background, but maybe this is a good seg that um, Dr. Butter talk, talked about this, how, um, and I'm curious how this links to what you're talking about, the, the queer refuge, um, how in queer spaces he becomes kind of um, exoticized as the Hindu or, or perhaps the, you know, kind of the Indian person, depending on the other per- people that are there. Um, and then in Hindu spaces, uh, he's exoticized as the queer person. So, so is, is it helpful to have a space where everybody has a religious identity of sorts and, and also a queer identity of sorts? Um, yeah, I, I certainly think so. And at least in those meetings, like they're intense, but they're really rewarding. And almost every week I've found myself saying something. I'm like, wait, I actually have never said that out loud or to, to other people before. Um, so I definitely think even if we're not like completely like-minded, quote unquote, um, we at least have a common understanding of um, what that means. And mm-hmm. I think there is sort of an assumption, um, like a lot of assumptions and connotations that religion, quote unquote, has um, in like these sort of university environments, right. something like, you know, uh, it comes with like the um, sort of, preservation of like power structures or like religion is bad for women or like Mm -hmm. religion perpetuates socioeconomic equality or religion is anti-science. I mean, a lot of um, those assumptions like is just not how, just does not reflect how people interact with their own religious practice. And they also come with like a really specific narrow definition of religion that arose out of a specific context, um, which sort of, and this is sort of like the result that we're seeing, I think, is like sort of a hesitation or like an aversion um, to religion, um, which might at least in part explain a sort of like reason to justify um, one's own religious identity in queer spaces. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I hear you on that. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. I, I, I'm not going to say that question that everybody hates, where are you from? But OK, I'm going to ask where are you from? <laughs> Sure. Um, so I am a current undergrad junior um, pursuing a combined major in philosophy and religious studies at Stanford. Um, and I am Gujarati, a second generation immigrant, um, actually uh, originally from Texas, from the Dallas area. Um, yeah, now I'm here on campus. Should probably do laundry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> did I answer your question? Probably you should be doing <laughs> Well, it's true for all of us. Um, so philosophy and religious studies are, are you doing a double major? Is that what you said? Um, so it's actually like a combined major. So right. I get um, 
Yeah, I didn't mention, but I'm also sort of like interested in health. So I've gotten like, um, I'm fortunate that like every quarter has been pretty different and I've gotten a chance to like explore a few different disciplines. But yeah, my major is like a combined major between them in philosophy okay. and religious studies. That's, um, that's great. I'm, I, I myself, my first degree was in religious studies and it's a real conversation killer, I find. People say, what do you study? And you mention religion and then they're on to the next person if they can. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, sometimes the reaction I get is like, oh, really? So like, can you tell me more about that? Like, what is religion? And then I'll just like find myself like trailing off and like forgetting the question. <laughs> <laughs> Because, yeah, I feel like in the field, we just sort of like ask increasingly difficult questions and <laughs> rarely find good answers. True. Uh, now, um, I said in my little intro that um, after um, I made a note to reach out to you and then didn't, I was remembered or reminded uh, when I saw your comedy piece. So where does comedy fit into all of this? Tell, tell me more about that. Was so tell us a little bit about the piece. It was about that um, sparkling drink. <laughs> <laughs> are we allowed to say it <laughs> i think so i just don't never know how to pronounce it my pronunciation doesn't mix with american uh, uh understanding of how that's pronounced but say it and say oh. <laughs> um well i've mostly heard lacroix um like a pseudo french <laughs> cocktail um that was actually founded in florida i'll say i have nothing against lacroix but i just had this idea of an article um uh, I think it was officially called like 17 signs that your commitment to LaCroix is taking um, a toll on your personal relationships. And I had long wanted to write a sort of listicle style satire piece. Um, yeah, I, it was like a little self-deprecating. Uh, I, I won't give away anything about the article if you intend to read it. Um, but I think comedy uh, has sort of like been a fun thing, I think on the side um, because uh, I, I think like it can do a lot of things. I mean, I will say I'm not a professional comedian. Like I've occasionally written, but no one's paying me to write satire articles, at least last time I checked. Um, <laughs> but I think I, I'm still like obsessed with comedy and I like think about it a lot, um, at least even if not in my like outward facing life, um, because I think it's just so interesting, like the sort of work that comedy can do to, I guess, sort of, um, you know, it privileges one voice, but also can like build community and cohesion, you know, it can um, like sort of rationalize a situation, but also call attention to its absurdity. And I think that like, you know, in an environment, like a th being thrown into an environment like college at a, as a young person, there's like so many like constant, um, like competing interests and like conflicts and like figuring out how you want to express yourself and like positioning yourself. And I think for me, like comedy, or at least write, trying to write comedy has sort of um, helped me like um, sort of work through like finding my voice and like positioning myself. Yeah. That's, that's amazing that you're as a, such a young person that you're able to do that and be funny at the same time. I mean, I think a lot of comedians do that, but they're not always, they might be successful at the processing piece, but they might not be successful at the then also being funny part of the... <laughs> being a comedian um i'm flattered that you that you found it funny <laughs> yeah i did i mean i i do i am beginning to feel that that particular drink is becoming a little bit of a low-hanging fruit i mean there's quite a lot of jokes about it but so <laughs> 
I'm a little late to the game, maybe a few years. But for now, it, it, it was funny and not something I, I, I expected to read. And, and I read it, I don't know, in the morning as I kind of get into my email. It was nice to have a laugh out loud first thing in the morning. That's, uh, that's, that's always good. Um, can you bring comedy into your, your life as a, uh, a student of philosophy and religion and your work with Queer Refuge? How, does, how, how do all those things come together and, or do they? Um, I, I think there is, there can be a connection because um, I think a lot of it, a lot of, um, I think religious studies for me as like a, um, as like a practicing Hindu um, has been like sort of realizing that and appreciating like the contingency of things and like um, and sort of like being willing to accept and to like loosen up and be willing to sort of like entertain a lot of ideas and not really feel um, super bothered by that. And I think comedy is sort of a way to like take things a little bit less seriously. Um, and I also think that comedy is like a pretty reasonable reaction to life <laughs> um, and sort of like, yeah, yeah. Coping, like being willing to have fun um, and be ridiculous. And also with like, you know, finding your voice and sort of, um, I guess, yeah, like in embracing it, you know, I think it's, it can be a way to, um, I think it can be a way to uh, sort of like, not to sort of like process insecurities and like look like like look back upon yourself and like be willing to see the humor in the situation um mm -hmm. because i think when you take yourself too seriously that's sort of um i think that's sort of like a fragile balance and i think that sort of warrants um yeah i think that sort of warrants a shift in mentality to sort of like loosen up there's something very potent about the the, the kind of the venn diagram of of religion and queerness and comedy that I, I definitely need to sit with a little bit more. I feel there's a whole comedy piece about that itself, actually. Um, how that plays out. Do you think that uh, people, so in Queer Refuge, you, you're surrounded by people who identify as religious in some way. Religion isn't a part of their life. Um, that I imagine, especially if it's in the context, as, as you said, that um, there's a lot of prejudice in, in, in ways around religion that it's anti-science or it's, uh, it's too patriarchal or, or whatever. Um, I imagine people can be quite defensive about that. So I wonder then how that intersects with queerness, which can also lead to defensiveness depending on the context and comedy. I guess more on like sort of the maybe defining religion. Mm. Um, I think... Uh, let's see, like defensiveness and, well, first of all, I don't, I think religion is something practiced by humans and humans have problems. So I think people are quick to, um, I guess, sort of, I don't know, generalize or like, like categorize or make um, blanket statements about something uh, like religion, but usually working beneath that are a lot of assumptions about um, what religion is um, or even, yeah, like what religion is, the way it operates, um, the way it plays out. And also even like where religion is located, like is religion in institutions? Um, because I don't know, like I'm seeing a lot of like movement of um, people from the religious camp to like 
the spiritual but not religious camp. And I think there's something going on there too. Like there's something going on that people sort of want to distance themselves, distance themselves from religion, um, especially in a university environment. Um, whereas as a Hindu, like a lot of those problems that people see in religion, I just like um, sort of haven't seen as central to my own religious identity and practice. Um, yes, so people say that, right? I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Does, did, you, did you talk about that in, in Queer Refuge or in, in other circles? How, how do you feel about that statement? Um, well, I think, I mean, first and foremost, people have the right to self-identify. Of course. However they choose. Um, and there are, there are some people in, um, in, I, in our group who identify spiritual or like not with any particular um, religion um, or something that we might consider a religion. Um, and I think, I don't know, there, there, there can be a lot of experiences um, that sort of motivate that identity. And that's also to be taken like very seriously. But I also just like would also raise that these um, boundaries are not usually so um, hard between like religion and science and spirituality. And that in a lot of contexts, like, I mean, I mean, I have no right to say that, you know, like an atheist Hindu is like not a Hindu um, or like an agnostic or like an atheist Buddhist or agnostic anything um, um, who, who still considers themselves like religious. Right. So and also like just, you know, close interaction, like the relationship between science and religion. Um, usually we sort of approach that with like a very like um, like a modern Western European view um, when mm -hmm. before that and in other contexts the relationship between religion and science is not imagined in that way at all in fact they're not they're often not battling right. <laughs> they're often like seen in conjunction and like mutually beneficial to each other uh, make of that what you will <laughs> <laughs> no but i think you're right i think our our, our um uh, in the United States, the concept of what makes religion is is super ethnocentric in, in that way. And I think that is, so when people say they're spiritual, not religious, you're absolutely right. I mean, anybody can identify however they want, but I, it, it seems to say I have religious feeling. I have, um, I, I believe in certain things. I just don't want to be part of a particular structure. And it all, it, it makes me wonder what that's like for people who do want to belong to that structure. Like kind of the spirituality versus religion almost sends up another, sets up another religion science dichotomy where the spirituality is almost like the scientific part of religion, like where, where we go with, um, where we don't, it defines itself by what it's not, I guess, in a, in a certain way. And, and religion seems to be then at the losing side of that. And that it strikes me as a little disingenuous, to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the spiritual but not religious um, is definitely like clarifying something um, right. as for what it's not. It's sort of like trying to demarcate. Um, and I mean, I think it's like, of course, neither thing is one thing only. <laughs> like spirituality can mean a host of things and as can, um, as does religion. Sure. Um, but I, I do think it, it, I guess my sort of like, when people ask me like, are you religious? Um, I sort of like the short answer is yes, but the long answer is like, well, I mean, Hinduism, at least in my experience is like very decentralized 
mm. um, not really like a central institution, not like very top down in the way that um, I've sort of um, absorbed it over the years and interacted with it. Um, not even like a central, one central universally agreed upon Hindu text or even one belief. And even the idea of belief as central to religion is a sort of like Christian Protestant, um, like cognitivist um, assumption about what religion is as well. So, I mean, the short answer is yes, I'm religious. Long answer is, well, what is religion? In the first? Right, and, 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 and it's complicated. And yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, this, the spiritual versus religious dichotomy is, uh, seems very Western, which let, let's just go to India. And I, I just want to um, tell the audience that I didn't um, prepare Vivek for this question. It just came into my head as we're talking. So take your time. Um, but if, if I think about um, my life in India and, and how people um, have religion stroke, spirituality is part of their everyday existence. I mean, it, it, it exists in a very different way, I think, than it does here in the United States, especially within the Christian tradition, as far as I'm aware of it. Um, people here, when they say spiritual, they may often mean something Eastern, um, something a little bit more around meditation and more of a personal experience. And I'm generalizing and also speaking from an ethnocentric um, perspective. Uh, and so here's my question to you. Where does yoga fit into all of this? And how do you, oh, the, the, the audience can't see this, but I'm getting this huge smile. Uh, and now we're going to talk about yoga. And this is very exciting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, we've heard all of like the stories of like, oh, there's a blonde woman on the cover of like the yoga journal and like, mm. oh, now there's a brunette woman. Wow. So they're branching out. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> There's a, there's a there's, I guess there's a long dialogue about appropriation and what's happening. And like, I, I see, yeah, yoga everywhere. Even like, I mean, when I was younger, I probably had like a pretty fixed idea about what yoga was from like, um, just from like, like my interaction with Vedanta and like gurus I'd heard from. So I was already sort of like surprised and took issue with the idea of like yoga as exercise in the first place. Right. Um, and I, uh, I mean, I can't deny like the, the immensely powerful and positive impact that, you know, yoga and mindfulness and meditation and all these analogous things have um, mm -hmm. uh, had on people's lives and the mm -hmm. benefit. And um, now there's like actually like um, resources being mobilized, like research, their impact. And that even has like a long, like a history of, it's been happening for decades now. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot to unpack and I think it's net, impact has been positive, but I think they're definitely, it definitely warrants some attention to, um, to think about appropriation and um, like what is East-West, like how, how um, Buddhist or Hindu is yoga or meditation um, and how, how scientific are they either? Um, and what is what is science? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I don't have any answers. <laughs> no, no, and we're not looking for them. But I'm I'm curious whether that comes up. I mean, I can imagine that any space that uh, defines itself as religious, stroke, spiritual, that you will be um, you people that look like people who look like you may be asked about that, or people who identify as Hindu may be asked about that. And I wonder if that happens and how you. Um, how you can how you can respond to that both with um 
kindness, but also with integrity. And that might sometimes be a little bit tricky, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it certainly can. And I, I think, I, I hope people are like willing to sort of like uh, introspect and like deconstruct a little bit um, because we sort of like, I don't know, have a tendency to like receive things and take them for granted um, when in fact they, like I said, are like contingent. There's a way that they came to be. Like it's no accident that we, that there are yoga studios like on every block in, um, in the Bay Area. Right. Um, and yeah, and there's, there's also like a stronger reaction to have as well. Um, like as in, for example, like take back yoga. Like this is something that we sort of have to reclaim and it's appropriation um, if we don't. And I, and I definitely do think that, um, let's see, I mean, these are like really sticky uh, political issues also, but I definitely do think, and I experienced growing up that like around Hinduism, there's assumptions that like, okay, caste and um, sort of like patriarchy are sort of central, like codified um, in Hinduism, but then things like karma that people sort of like throw around and, yeah. and yoga that people benefit from, um, like, oh no, that's not really Hindu, you know, mm. or like, or at least it's not immediately associated, um, like when you think of Hinduism. Uh, so definitely there are like a lot of <laughs> assumptions and attitudes that are working and I think we'd be better off to sort of examine them. I think it's also worth clarifying like what we mean by yoga um, because like what I see in like a yoga studio has like nothing to do with what I learned about yoga and mm -hmm. my interactions with like gurus and like Vedanta um, and other like um, other Hindu texts. Um, because like, I don't know, like I'll admit that I am like super into group fitness and what I've tried a yoga class like one time uh, in my life. And in that um, class, I actually fell asleep um, <laughs> <laughs> on the ground. And I think like, it was already a weird situation. Like I was just like this, <laughs> this like brown boy in like a class of like, um, like middle-aged like moms, um, yeah. which is fine. But then I just like fell asleep there and like, I don't know. I mean, the point is I don't, I, I take issue with the idea of yoga as like an activity that starts and stops. Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess it sort of already has like operated that way in the context that um, we're in and that we're seeing it in. But I sort of like have liked to imagine, again, I, I have to be, it's dangerous to like sort of take yoga and like call it what you want. There's always implications, but at least the way that I've sort of appreciated yoga is as more of like, you know, a mentality, um, a sort of approach to life um, and the sort of like willingness to integrate um, like different parts of yourself. Like, mm -hmm. um, like yoga, like the actual core, like Sanskrit root means union. Right. like union with the, of the self with the divine um with the self with others um i yeah i just think that yoga can and i think like some of that dialogue is like that discourse is happening i suppose in like the west quote unquote uh, but i think yoga is sort of um it can sort of expand beyond like a fitness format and i think that that's a pretty i think that something major is lost in that reduction yeah yeah totally um I'm, I, I also love uh, doing fitness and I, um, I teach a Zumba class once in a while uh, and <laughs> come along, 
come along. It's virtual now. Um, and um, a, a colleagues and friends of mine who, who work on yoga as a, as a, through the lens of cultural appropriation, I always tell them, you know, I love the work you do, but don't take Zumba away from me. Like, I, I don't want to get too critical about that because I love it so much. And, and there's some, the issues are very different uh, with Zumba than they are with yoga, but they're nevertheless there as well. But I don't want to go critical about it because it's just such a great... <laughs> <laughs> makes me so much happiness. Oh, wow. I am also a Zumba fanatic. I am myself a licensed Zumba instructor. Oh my God, <laughs> we have to teach a class together. This oh, is like, it's all coming together on the SAS pod. Yes, <laughs> SAS pod Zumba. It's something that people like, um, I don't know, they sort of drag, drag their feet like approaching it, but as soon as they're there, like something something clicks in people. <laughs> like Zumba can has the power to unleash something um, that people are repressing in their daily lives. And I, yeah, I definitely think that there's something. I think uh, that's about it. probably also where it, it's really very different from the way that yoga is appropriated in that yoga is portrayed as this very um, uh, traditional kind of, it's that there's a holiness that becomes imbued in it. There's something like, you need to be a certain way. There's a certain way of doing it. It becomes very exclusive in the way that it is packaged and portrayed. And Zumba is the exact opposite, right? The whole point of Zumba is to just have a good time. Like there's no right way of doing it. Nobody cares whether your foot's facing this way or that way. Just have fun. Yeah, when in doubt, shake it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, if our audience is not was was ever doubtful about whether they wanted to try Zumba, I hope we have inspired them now. I hope so. <laughs> Vivek, you're a junior at Stanford, so you're graduating 2022, God willing. Yes, that's the plan. And then what? Um, well, <laughs> if anyone <laughs> listening has any ideas, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, right now I'm on I'm on track to apply to med school and uh, yeah, I mean, I've gone sort of into interested in like a few different, I guess, specialties, if you would, if sure. you'd be interested in hearing past that. Um, yeah, actually, when I was younger, I was super obsessed with gastroenterology. I was a weird child, <laughs> but that was my interest. Um, and I've sort of like, uh, at Stanford, like thinking, like working um, in the lab where I am now, like working with psychologists, I've been sort of more interested in like, I guess, the role of a clinician and like the presence they can have in, in helping a family. Um, and so I've actually gone more into oncology, but again, this is all way down the road and I don't have everything figured out. Um, Fortunately, yeah. that would be, that would be a little bit concerning if you had everything figured out. Agree. <laughs> uh, but it's good to have a sense. Has COVID affected your kind of way of um, thinking about health? Yeah, you know, I certainly, it certainly has. I think um, COVID has sort of, well, for one, it's brought to light like in major disparities, right? Um, and I and I do hope that it ends up being a turning point that um, for like uh, real change and transformation, um, and that you know, like the normal is not the same normal um, that was happening before. Uh, but I also think it sort of like brings to light, you know, I guess a more like integrative approach to health, and because people find themselves in like. I don't know, um, like isolating, like in, a, in highly stressful environments with like a lot of uncertainty. Um, and like that, of course, has a toll, um, but also mentalities around uncertainty and the amount of uncertainty that 
were willing to tolerate, um, like some of the work in my lab is actually um, like looking at intolerance of uncertainty and um, how it might mediate the relationship between like bodily threat um, and actual pain experience. So uncertainty is also an important piece um, of health. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I certainly think the pandemic overall has sort of forced people to like redefine and, uh, you know, find, find wellness for themselves, whether it be <laughs> dancing in, um, in front of a computer for virtual <laughs> Zumba or whatever ways. Um, yeah. Vivek, thank you so much for talking to me. This has been amazing and it's been really good getting to know you a little bit on the SAS pod. And I hope our, I'm pretty sure that our paths will intersect again because we have a lot in common. Thank you for talking to me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I also want to thank Soham Shiva for creating the music for the intro and the outro and Simrat Mataru for post-production. Thank you for listening to the SASPOD, the South Asian Studies at Stanford podcast. Find out all about the Stanford Center for South Asia at southasia.stanford.edu and find us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you can tune in again soon.